Saturate exists to serve and equip leaders to start and strengthen unified gospel city movements that lead to gospel saturation. To the end that every man, woman, and child has repeated opportunities to meet Jesus through his church on mission everywhere, every day. We believe this will require, as Jesus prayed in John 17, that the church is unified in a region collaborating around five key initiatives, citywide prayer, leader health, disciple-making strategies, serving the city, and starting new churches and new kingdom initiatives. Presently, we're spending some time on the initiative of disciple-making strategies. And more specifically, we're going to learn about what God is doing through Kansas City Underground with a, a collection of microchurches in Kansas City that are committed to gospel saturation through disciple-making in microchurches. And I am so excited because I am with two of my favorite guys in the entire world, two dear, <laughs> dear friends, uh, one who I've known a lot longer than the other, uh, but both who I, I, I really do know and I do admire and I do love and I learn, I'm learning so much from them. So, well, we have Rob Wagner and uh, we also have Brian Johnson with us and they are the co-founders of the Kansas City Underground. Rob is also an author. Um, Ryan, I don't know if you are. Uh, maybe you have to fill me in. You, you probably got like, a bunch of books I don't even know about. Not yet? Okay. <laughs> uh, but Rob wrote The Starfish and the Spider with Lance Ford. Rob, did wait, you wait, write wait, no. books? Uh, I'm sorry, sorry, the Starfish and the Spirit. And the, spider. <laughs> the Starfish and the Spirit, yes. You were inspired by the Starfish and the Spirit. Yes, and, and Ori was... Ori was a kind coach to us through the process. Oh, man. Yeah. Just such a brilliant guy, too, right? Yeah, off the chart. Yeah. Well, so are you, Rob. And so, uh, Rob, I would love for you to share a little bit more about yourself and Brian, you as well, after Rob does. Uh, tell us a little bit about you, your family, uh, what you're up to. Yeah, uh, it's really great to be with you. And Jeff knows this already. He's uh, been a hero to me for a long time and been a great um, spiritual father and uh, Kansas City Underground in the foundations are the fingerprints of uh, Jeff Vanderstelt and Soma and Saturate. And so it's really fun to be with you. Um, I'm married to my best friend, uh, Michelle, and uh, we have three daughters. Our oldest both just graduated a couple of weeks ago from K-State. And then uh, that's, that's amazing. Whitney. I know. I'm like, we're crazy. almost empty nesters. It's crazy, man. And wow. then Belle is uh, our youngest and she's uh, going into her senior year. And, um, you know, I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a ragamuffin and uh, I love Jesus. And I want to be a part of everything Jesus is doing in our world. And uh, I'm here because there is a guy named Dan who, when I was what, 14, uh, discipled me and taught me to be a disciple maker. And uh, that made all the difference. And he did the same for Michelle, you know. Uh, so we were... We're really grateful that God gave us that grace through Dan early on. And uh, and then Brian and I met up. I was a pastor. I spent a lot of time in large churches. So I joined a church plant in 92, and uh, it was a Willowback church. So Willow Creek and Saddleback were our big influences. And uh, it became a very large church in a relatively small town. Um, and at that time, about halfway into that 20-year run there, I got really involved primarily in global mission, disciple-making movements. And that was a game changer as well. Cause it was like what I experienced through Dan and what I had tasted, except it was like a seven course feast. And out of our experience, we started training other churches like in local and global mission. And Brian was in one of those. We met up and uh, this is a funny story. After, after the first session, Brian was giving me like the look of death. Arms crossed. I'm not going to learn from this guy. He was like, and I was like, man, is that dude constipated or is he <laughs> mad or like, what? and you know, Jeff, you know me, Jeff. I'm like a goofball. So I'm like, doesn't bother me. I'm not going to take it personally. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. So I, and then, uh, but Brian and I quickly became really close friends and we've been best buddies for a long time now. And so I handed it off to Brian and you, and by the way, we're not really co-founders. Uh, okay. It, there's a much larger team of people. All so right. we're That's... one of 
One of many. Yes, yes, indeed, yeah. And that's one of the beautiful things about our story uh, that I really like to celebrate. I love that. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So uh, I'm married to my wife, Kristen. We have five kids, 10, 8, and 4. So I always like to mess with people now. (laughs) I have five kids, 10, 8, and 4. You can figure out the math. (laughs) um, (laughs) Three of them are the same age. So we did that one time. Um, yeah, I grew up in the Southeast, <laughs> met Jesus at the breakfast table. So my mom led me to Jesus there, uh, just a saint of a woman. And we were in the church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Anytime the doors were open, we were absolutely present and there. And so, you know, I think primary you mean in the building, making, right? Yeah, that's what I you mean. mean in, in a building, yeah, that's what I thought you meant. So, yeah, that thank they you. call the church. I'm, I'm usually the one that corrects people on that, so I appreciate that. I know you are. Uh, primarily, I would say disciple-making, you know, is my family. And that uh, core of just every morning meeting with Jesus before we began the day. And it just set the trajectory for our life. And uh, committed to vocational ministry when I was mm, 17. And began leading worship. I tell people I was the only person that could play guitar and sing at the same time. So I was the worship leader. Uh, other people could do the other things, just not at the same time. So I defaulted my way into a career. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but fast forward, I suppose I started traveling and leading worship and helping plant churches and working in big churches and small churches and anything in between. But met Rob in 2009 and uh, he instantly he disliked this- me. Instantly disliked me. <laughs> but you took this very incomplete, narrow perspective of the gospel and helped me just blow it open through Surprise by Hope and uh, Divine Conspiracy and uh, just all of and And introduced me to um, this uh, Tangible Kingdom Hugh Halter book. And that began to influence my wife and, and me and... And then that led us to Soma and this little documentary that just rocked our world. And we began to ask questions like, what would it look like if we lived Jesus this way? And so we've been on about a 12-year, 13-year journey of just trying to join Jesus in the everyday stuff of life, of loving our neighbors well and uh, trying to be a gospel presence wherever we live. Mm, That's awesome. that's how we're here. So you're as much a part of our story in the Southeast as the Kansas City Underground too. So there's a long history yeah. there of watching Soma from afar and uh, just appreciative mm-hmm. of the work that's been done there. Well, one of the things I love of, about the work you guys have done and your team has done is I, in some ways I feel like you took some seminal ideas uh, a bunch of us were really working on and trying to figure out and try to experiment in and you took them even further i think further developed them into stronger forms and structures and just the way you guys have built what you've built has been really remarkable it's uh that's why i'm learning from you guys um and want others to learn from you so how did you get to the place where the Kansas city underground really started to find life. But what, what was the origin story of that? Um, well, I had been in Indiana for 22 years and, um, we'd had some connections with uh, a church here in Kansas city did the same coaching thing that Brian was in. I got to be really good friends. And there's a church here called Westside Family Church. And when I resigned at Granger, they really wanted to get into uh, church planning globally. And and I also told them, hey, the same stuff that we're doing internationally, wherever wherever I'm living next, that's what we're going to be doing locally. And they said, hey, you can do that too. And uh, about a year into that, uh, I had a chance to invite Brian to come up and join that team. And uh, and then we had a good friend that we made who was already on staff at uh, West Side named Brian Phipps. And Brian had been leading this really uh, meaningful movement of disciple making, of helping believers actually become disciple makers, to grow in character and calling, discover their gifts, get a sense of mission where they live, work, learn, play. And so when we uh, 
when the three of us got together, it was kind of like the three amigos finally admit. <laughs> and we just, uh, we basically used this large church as a fishing pond uh, to make disciples who could make disciples and then increasingly helping them go deep in the places where they live, work, learn, and play. And, uh, and it was beautiful. Um, people were starting to have amazing spiritual conversations with curious people and people were meeting Jesus and these new families were starting to form and, uh, micro churches started to emerge. And, uh, it, it was, uh, the kind of the culmination of probably 15 years of experiments before that. And you could feel like, man, there's this Holy spirit momentum that's starting to happen. And I, I tell people like, Hey, if you're making these changes inside of a, a predominant model church, like you don't have to change really anything. Like just start discipling people personally and then help them disciple people and do it in the harvest, uh, move people deeper into a, a sense of sentness, you know, where they already are. And you can do that for two or three years without having to really change any structures. Uh, it's completely yeast in the dough. But what happened is, is if you do keep that up, eventually the church has to make a decision. Like, are we going to restructure for this um, or are we going to release this? So we started a conversation with the elders at Westside and uh, and we were released uh, graciously, uh, but definitely released. And, <laughs> and so we, we decided then it's like, OK, we're going to start this thing called the Kansas City Underground. But. Uh, what I'm trying to emphasize is that you can't really find an origin point. You know what I mean? It's yeah. There was yeah. there was something happening underneath the surface for five six years prior to that that the underground wouldn't have existed otherwise. So we ended up three years ago. Uh, we launched out with three micro churches. So what was interesting is a number of the micro churches that emerged they wanted to still stay connected to Westside, and we're like, that's great, you know. So three of the micro churches that had emerged came with us. And then we had 72 missionaries and, uh, and we, wow. we really felt like that was a wink from Jesus like that. That's amazing. After all, <laughs> after all of our information meetings and house parties and, and when we, we had this really powerful night um, of just laying our lives before Jesus and taking communion together and being commissioned and we asked people to sign a missionary commitment. And when Brian counted them up the next day, I remember he texted me. He's like, you're not going to believe this. We have 72. <laughs> That's so incredible. Yeah. And we I made this commitment, it. you know, just that we weren't going to organize those people into groups and call them micro churches. It's like, hey, we're going to have equipping gatherings for you. We're going to have coaching for you. We're going to have training huddles for you. Uh, we're going to walk with you. Um, that was one of the best things that the Holy Spirit led us to hold the line on because everybody wanted us to get them into, you know, organized microchurch. And it's like, nope, that's not how this works. It comes out of making disciples in the harvest and you can Absolutely. do this. Yeah. And, so and good. people, yeah. And that was our beginning, you know. It's, isn't it so easy though for us to get so easily distracted towards something other than disciple making? And then we call that mission. And so the, the fundamental, straightforward mission of Jesus was make disciples. That's <laughs> just, but we get off on everything else but that so often. You know, uh, Brian, you say this a lot, so I'll let you unpack it. Like fundamentally, we don't want to be a micro church movement. We want to be a disciple making movement. And I just want to hand that over to Brian to put some curry on that. Yeah. You know, like you talked about being involved in the disciple-making movements globally, and a number of our leaders had been influenced that way. Like we all had some experience globally watching these kind of viral movements, reading about them, hearing about them, and just going, dear God, we want this here now. We want to see this happen locally. And, you know, so like we tell people what you were just saying, Jeff, is like we focus on form. We don't focus on function. We, we throw conferences to make the form better. We don't have enough conferences about how to be more effective at the function. And honestly, we don't necessarily need a bunch more conferences about how to make the form or the, or the function effective. It's just like we, we need to step into the activation of it and to practice it more, to make more mistakes on the ground. And so just watching what we were seeing globally and saying, like, how can we equip, walk alongside everyday people 
that would want to make disciples in their context of relationships with people who won't, quote unquote, go to church. And if we can focus on that, what we believe is that microchurches will be the result of that because we believe extended spiritual families will emerge as new disciples are made. And so we don't want to be a microchurch movement in the sense that we're not trying to make them happen. What we're trying to do is make sure that we engage disciple makers and equip and lead them because if they make disciples, the church is the result. And that form of church we will absolutely emphasize and focus on because we want to make sure that these extended spiritual families are healthy and that people can grow up and mature in a healthy family system. So that that's a kind of higher level of that phrase. Usually there's a lot more conversation behind it, but. No, that's good. So that sounds like the heartbeat of what Kansas City Underground really is all about, right? I mean, what you just said, that that would really capture the heart of it all. Yeah, yeah. well, our our mi- our mission is to fill Kansas City with the beauty, justice, and goodness of Jesus. Okay. So that's a that's a vision of uh say that again. Still, I want to slow down because I want you to I want to make sure no one yeah, misses that. Also, i I apologize. I have this terrible cold or it might be the monkey pox. We're, we're trying monkey to pox. <laughs> we're trying to decide if I'm, if I'm patient I'm patient zero. <laughs> The, the truth is, if you know Rob, you go like he is the monkey. Like, <laughs> <laughs> jumping around with energy all over the place, man. <laughs> so, so say it again. Uh, I will. I will. I will. Our our mission is to fill Kansas City with the beauty, justice, and good news of Jesus, and that's a vision out of Ephesians chapter one, where Jesus is always more. And all of us have an image of God that hangs in the hall of our heart. And it's so small and it's so warped. And no matter what we know of Jesus' love, it's only a teaspoon of the ocean of his power, his wisdom, his sovereignty, his goodness. And and eventually because of his resurrection, the finished work on the cross, all that Jesus is will fill everything every way. Heaven is going to swallow earth. He's reconciling everything in heaven and earth. And, and we're not treading water until then. Um, he said his kingdom can come in and through us and his will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is active today. So we see our city like a, an aquarium and we want it to be full with the fullness of Jesus. And that's us. So our vision is a disciple maker in every street and a microchurch in every network of relationships, because that would, that, um, when people begin to wake up to their masterpiece mission, that the people to whom they've been sent, the place to whom they've been uniquely sent, and they begin to plant themselves deeply there, they plant the gospel, they make disciples, and then these new, simpler, deeply rooted, highly relational, easily reproducible forms of church begin to emerge. And that would actually make a gospel presence and a gospel demonstration and a gospel proclamation that would be relational enough, adaptable enough to actually fill an entire city with all its diversity. And that's why we're here, man. Uh, We love Jesus and we want everyone to know him and experience his love and to love him, to give him the worship that he's due. So for us, it's we want every single man, woman, boy and girl to be able to see, hear, experience and respond to the gospel in their network of relationships. Like they never have to go to a building Mm -hmm. because there's, there's someone with the love of Jesus activated in their network of relationships. I think one of the, like the word that we add that's important is repeated opportunities to see here. Like it's important to focus on the repeated in connection with the disciple maker and the micro church on every street and every network. It's like, yeah, you could have repeated opportunities if you went somewhere every Sunday. I'm not saying that that's not possible, but when we say repeated, we mean like all day, every day, you would see a person that is reflecting the face of Jesus in their life. Yeah, And that's like the repeated opportunity to experience, see, hear, and be able to respond right where you are. That's awesome, man. 
Yeah, but that is God's plan. I mean, his plan right. is that yeah. <laughs> yeah. that he would fill every place <laughs> in every way through who? His body, the church. The body, church. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, fullness of him. Yeah, yeah and the immersive so, yesterday we were saying again to the church leaders who always emphasize this. It's there's been such an emphasis on churches finding vision. And it's like we already have the vision. It's Ephesians chapter one. That's we right. can't if we're running around trying to find some other vision, it's always gonna leave us falling short. You can't improve on the vision that the Spirit has given us. And uh, Ephesians is such a central book for us it's like our uh blueprint you know mm. would you uh if, if i were I, just, I i think i already know the answer to this question because i think you already said it but if someone's going to say what is a micro church i think you've already described it but what what would you say to them in a short form that would help them really capture it yeah our very short definition to help you capture it is an extended spiritual family Okay. And we always we always say period there. Now there's more to it. But the reason we put a period there is just to emphasize identity over activity. That it's about a people over a place. It's about who you are, not what you do. That said, so microchurch is an extended spiritual family. Period. Just hold it, sit with it, enjoy that, embrace it. <laughs> However, healthy families do things. And they have ways of describing who they are. They have loves. There are people in them. So we flesh the definition out further for us. Again, we're not saying this is what a microchurch is for everybody everywhere for all time. It's just for the Kansas City underground, an extended spiritual family that seeks to live in everyday gospel community. They're led by ordinary people, not paid professionals, and they own the mission of Jesus in a network of relationships. So again, the, the seek to live in everyday gospel community is about the extraordinary and the ordinary, the magnificent and the mundane and everything in between. The ordinary people is us. <laughs> you know, it's like the guy that runs Social Security of America for the Midwest region or the lady that is uh, working IT for the government or the retired school teacher, or the stay-at-home mom. Like, they're all very normal people that are leading these microchurches. They're just ordinary. And then the own the mission of Jesus, for us, that mission is disciple-making in a network of relationships. And so we would make a distinction between mission and missional activity. So we would say every microchurch has a mission, make disciples, Missional activity contextualizes it into a network of relationships so that it becomes good news for that people in that place. That's good. It's really good. So with that said, how, do, how would you define a disciple? My definition good, of bro. a disciple <laughs> is a person who hears the voice of Jesus, responds in obedience while growing in character and calling and helping others do the same. And I know that's, it's almost too wordy, but there is some intentionality behind it. Because oh, again, yeah. again, we could break it down to the simple definition for me is someone that hears and responds in obedience to the voice of the Spirit, right? Like I can hear the voice of God and I can respond in obedience to Him. If I do that, then the rest of the definition which is I will grow in character and calling. The fruit of the Spirit will be born in me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Because I'm hearing the voice of the Spirit let me know I need to grow in love. I'll grow in calling as I join Him in a specific context of relationships. As He calls me to love my neighbor well, I'm growing in my calling in a, in a place. So I'm hearing, responding in obedience, growing in character and calling while helping others do the same. That last little piece, it's like you, you shouldn't have to tell people that making disciples involves, or being a disciple means making one, but you do. <laughs> so <laughs> I just add that piece on the end, which is I want to help others hear the voice of Jesus respond in obedience so that they can grow in character and calling and help others do the same. So that's Great. my definition. And it's it's actually the definition for the Kansas City Underground as well. Okay. Uh, 
we recently went through a process of sort of updating our language and clarifying our definitions. And that was, uh, we had some variants on actually the disciple definition between a few of us. And that's the one we landed on. And I believe it to my core. Yeah. I love the relational aspect of your definition. Like, I think a lot of times people leave that out, but here's from Jesus. Um, that that's just so oftentimes overlooked or assumed. And the amazing thing about that is like, who is the ultimate disciple maker? Jesus. Who is the ultimate teacher? The spirit who teaches us everything that he wants us to know and learn. And so that relational aspect of it is really powerful. I, I love that. So how, how do you guys go about, making disciples that make disciples. How do you go about helping people live this out uh, in Kansas City? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So we have lots and lots of really complicated uh, curriculum that everyone has to go through. <laughs> and they sit classes and they listen to Brian mostly lecture for very long periods of time. <laughs> Not... Uh, so there's, there's different, there's different aspects to the strategy. One big part mm -hmm. of it is our mobilization pathway and we call it the, the missionary pathway. Okay. And so this is the journey, uh, that mm -hmm. Jesus went on in terms of being a disciple maker. Uh, it's the journey the early church went on. If you study every great move of God, um, and it's, it's phases actually, it is sequential. Um, the phases overlap. Uh, so it's not like you graduate from one phase and leave that behind. They kind of all build on top of each other. Um, and so the five phases of the missionary pathway of uh, phase one is extraordinary prayer and fasting. Um, and so in this phase, uh, we say, you know, no one gets to skip the wilderness. Uh, no one gets to skip the upper room. And uh, Jesus' top priority was to... Uh, go out in deserted places and be with his father. And prayer is um, the work. Prayer is the strategy. Um, we want to work from a place of our truest identity and um, deep, abiding, continuing uh, interaction with Jesus and obedience to him. And we call it extraordinary prayer and fasting because, you know, if you look at the Gallup polls, like virtually everybody prays. Um, but like the early disciples, we need to look at Jesus and go, I don't think we're doing it the way you're doing it, Lord. Like we want to learn to pray in the way of Jesus. And it's extraordinary. So it's in the way of Jesus. And it's also this invitation to deepening surrender and prayer and devotion because we say, well, extra is, well, add one. So whatever your ordinary is, add one. And we don't want yeah. this to become some kind of legalistic striving, um, but right. it is this invitation to like deeper intimacy with Jesus. And then fasting, um, which gets into kind of this intense dependency on Jesus. Like we're exhausted with merely human effort, producing merely human result. Like this has to be birthed. It was birthed in the spirit, has to continue in the spirit. So there's two forms of prayer that we teach people. Uh, one is breathing in prayer. The other is breathing out prayer. So breathing in prayer is listening prayer or contemplative prayer. The number one skill of every, every missionary is hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit responding. Um, if you look at what the standard operating procedure in the book of Acts was, there wasn't one. <laughs> it's like, Psst, hey, see that guy over there in the chariot? Go over there now. <laughs> it's not like now we need a program for approaching chariot riders. You know, it's yeah. like, no, we need to we need to be in relationship with Jesus and listen. Yeah. You know, so we teach contemplative forms of prayer and then contending prayer, um, and that's where we're learning how to pray for and with people. We're learning how to pray authoritatively. We're learning how to pray for breakthroughs, like open hearts, open heavens, open homes. And we teach simple tools, like we'll have three or four basic tools for each one of those forms of prayer, and then fasting. And then we have corporate rhythms of extraordinary prayer and fasting, like early morning prayer. Uh, today is a day of prayer and fasting for the underground. So in phase one, we're teaching people how to abide with Jesus, 
Um, we're teaching them to join into the community rhythms of prayer and fasting, and we're helping them begin to really seek the Lord out on um, where have you been sent? Who have you been sent to? Um, so phase one is extraordinary prayer and fasting. Phase two is live as a missionary. I hand off to Brian. Yeah. So the live as a missionary piece is just all, mostly around the bless rhythms. So begin in prayer. So it's just a carryover from phase one. And so this is about taking like you've been abiding with Jesus, which is the only way that will bear fruit in our lives and in our mission. Uh, and then out of that, we move into living like a missionary. So Jesus returns from the wilderness and he calls Matthew. And then he and Matthew throw a party at their house <laughs> and all the notorious sinners come hang out. Jesus goes to a wedding and he makes wine for really drunk people because they're throwing a party and he has entered into the moment. Um, so he's, he's at the festivals and the feasts in Jerusalem. He's with the people all the time. So these rhythms of, of bless, again, begin in prayer to carry over, listen and engage. So we're, we're, again, we're teaching people like you're moving from this abiding phase into moving into the lives of the people to whom you've been sent. And you need tools around that. So how do we learn to listen to the place we've been sent, learn the stories and the songs of the people? The E is eat. This is everybody's favorite. And you do need training oftentimes on how to throw a better party or how to throw a party. <laughs> you know, like yeah. Step one, <laughs> open the door, invite people in. <laughs> the first S is serve. So serve tangibly and meaningfully. Be served by your network of relationships. Uh, that usually levels the playing field. And then the last S is begin to share the story of how Jesus changes you and the gospel changes everything. And uh, with these rhythms, we also train around persons of peace, identifying people that you can begin immediately. I don't want to say leveraging. They already have a ton of relationships and they want to open their network to you because they're spiritually curious and open. And these rhythms of abiding with Jesus and really going deeply into relationships in one network of relationships is, is helping us move to phase three, which is plant the gospel. If you want to take it back from there, Rob. Yeah. So plant the gospel as people gain relational credibility. Um, they begin to have spiritual conversations. And that's when we want to intentionally plant the gospel. That's the power of God unto salvation. And uh, so we begin to teach people uh, about a discovery process, an obedience-based process of engaging the scriptures plant the gospel and it's called dbs probably a lot of the listeners will have heard about it discovery bible study so it's obedience based so we're not just trying to get content for content's sake um it's discovery based so we're going to go to a passage of scripture um with the intent of discovering who god is his ways his works his character his nature uh to understand the human condition what does this tell us about people? Uh, also, what is it that the Spirit of God is saying to me? So what, what is standing out to me? And we're teaching people to begin to tune the ears of their spirit to the Holy Spirit speaking through the Scriptures. So they're beginning to experience illumination in community. Um, and then obedience. So what should I do about it? You're right, I will statement. So what happens is typically people are throwing parties, they're engaging, whatever that looks like in their context, they start to have spiritual conversations. And we say, man, when you've had the second spiritual conversation, go ahead and ask the person like, hey, do you want to just look directly at what Jesus has to say? And we'll discover it together. Like, I'm not going to preach at you. We're going to read his words. We're going to ask some great open-ended questions. And then Jesus said, if you actually try my teachings, you'll discover whether or not they're from God. So we're going to do this Jesus experiment. So we want you to try it. Even if you're not sure about Jesus yet, just try it. And we've had, I think, 175 plus discovery groups started in three years where people are having spiritual conversations and then they're oh. taking them directly to the scriptures. And we've seen a lot of those actually become the womb for new disciples and baptisms. And they eventually become microchurches. It's been amazing. Uh, the other set of tools that we use under Plant the Gospel 
is something that Brian and I worked very hard on to create. It's called gospel fluency. <laughs> you knew where that was going, Jeff. As soon as you started, I'm like, I, I know. I I'm know pretty sure this is something I created that he's going to take credit for. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I know I I know we've told you this before, but I mean, when we teach, we try, we teach, we want every missionary to learn the gospel fluency skills, and mm-hmm. it's it is one of the things we consistently get the most powerful feedback on because when people oh learn the goodness. gospel themselves to mm-hmm. their deepest needs, to their idolatry, to their identity, mm-hmm. then they're learning uh, not a presentation anymore. It's their worldview. It's their language. And they're not yeah. just trying to work through four points anymore. They're looking at their neighbor and they're going, oh, I get it now. She thinks her boss is her God yeah. and that her job title is her identity and that her yeah. source of security is her bank account. Now I know how to gospel her. That's you know? right. Yes. And it's a game changer. And so we're, uh, yes, Jeff Vanderstel, by the way, if you don't know, created, <laughs> read the book. I think, you know, the original question is like, how do we disciple people? And we walked you through that mobilization pathway because it is the framework for everything we do, for sure. I guess the backbone. But I I would also say that we, like everything we do is on a continuum of informal to formal. And Mm -hmm. so there are these, you know, we we encourage these spaces of three to five, these spaces within microchurches of like informal disciple making, building this relational network together. And then there's like Sunday afternoon equipping that is equipping leaders around tools to become effective in disciple making. And then Mm. there are other environments like discovery Bible studies that sometimes are less, you know, it's like five minutes. This is happening. You want to meet Jesus and discover him. And so let's do this. And then other times it's a (laughs) a more formal environment. So, I think the yeah. other like kind of way to think about the way disciple making happens is, you know, informally and formally. And we're trying to think through all the ways we can create holistically both ends of that continuum so that there mm-hmm. are these places where people can meet Jesus informally. And as they continue in their journey, find these places of uh, more organized uh, environments to go deeper, to go further, to walk with Jesus in those ways. Amen. So what uh, are we have to hit the we'll hit the last two real quickly. Phase four then is microchurch emerges. So if I I begin extraordinary prayer and fasting, and that's the undercurrent under everything, I continue to live as a missionary. So I'm living the blessed rhythms. I'm looking for people of peace. I'm getting clarity on my missional focus, where I'm sent, who I'm sent to. Um, I begin making disciples by planning the gospel and helping people discover Jesus through the scriptures, learning to obey. The other key thing we teach, especially uh, this starts from the very beginning and runs through all the phases, is reproduction. Um, so even when you're in a discovery Bible study, the question that you ask last is always like, who could you share this with? So you're learning instantly a basic form of reproduction or multiplication. So then as disciples begin to add or multiply, a microchurch emerges. And so then you have this new extended spiritual family that's the goal is not a meeting, although they do have meetings, but the goal is everyday gospel community. It's being led by ordinary people. They're owning the mission of Jesus. And we want to help these families work together around worship, community, and mission. So worship is moving from unbelief to belief in Jesus in every area of life. And then community is activating all the one another's um, in the everyday spaces of life. And then mission is is twofold. It's make disciples but it's also uh, make the kingdom tangible. So we want our context, the, the, the place that we're called to, to look more and more like heaven. And we begin to teach the microchurches then this balance of uh, the organized aspects of an extended spiritual family and the organic aspects of an extended spiritual family. So on the organized side of things, um, we say every four to six weeks, you want to organize at least two ups or worship where we're gathering with the people of God for the express purpose of moving from unbelief to belief in Jesus to the scriptures and prayer, shared meal. We're planning mission together. Most of our micros do four ups though. Um, but we see at least twice a month and then two out. So that's the mission. 
So organize a couple of times a month, like an intentional serve in your context. That's going to make the kingdom tangible. And then also uh, another out that's socially inclusive, like a soft space that's really porous on the edges, like a party that you can invite anybody to. And then we say two in. And the two in is about staying connected uh, to your hub. And the hub is the mission agencies that is equipping the missionary and the microchurches. So stay connected with ongoing coaching, stay connected to the equipping gathering. And those are organized aspects of our life together. But most of our life together is uh, the organic side. You know, most of the discipleship stuff's happening in the spaces in between. It's about the tech stream that's going, you know, every single day. Uh, it's about the development of spiritual habits and people's personal lives. It's like, are we hanging together outside of our organized uptimes? You know, um, are we doing life together? Are we bearing each other's burdens? So phase four is all about the health of those micro churches. And then phase five is multiplication. And the goal here is basically we want to multiply at every level. We want to multiply disciples and, and disciple makers and leaders and groups and micro churches and networks of micro churches. And then hubs that are equipping teams that are supporting that decentralized network of missionaries and micro churches and discovery groups. Um, and so those five phases, um, it's just a constant cycle that you're moving through. And it, there are, it's also like a toolkit, like each one of those phases is like a bucket that has tools and coaching in it. And that's kind of a macro overview. Um, mm. And then underneath it, we have like a radical commitment to, for example, the fivefold that all five voices of Ephesians four um, are being discovered by every disciple maker. They're being validated and practiced in the micro in every equipping team and all the hubs. Um, but that's kind of a big overview of the strategy. Oh, it's helpful, man. So well thought out too. I, one of the things I want to make sure I highlight, cause I think there are people listening who have, are church planters or a church that wants to think about church planting. And what I love about, how you walked through that whole process is, is we're not here to plant churches. We're here to make disciples who make disciples. And as they do that, a church emerges and it's the outcome of the mission. It's not the mission. The mission isn't right. pl planting churches. The mission was making disciples and bringing the presence of the kingdom to a space. And if you do that, a church will emerge. That's just the out. That is the outcome of doing the very work that you sent us to do. That's it. Well, the church planning language, unfortunately, has a lot of, um, there's baggage that comes along with it. Yeah. And if you say we're planting churches, people automatically think, well, there's a professional, there's going to be a weekend service, there's going to be a worship team, there's going to be a building. And, and then when you say micro churches, ordinary people are thinking, well, then I guess I have to be like a little preacher in a living room somewhere. <laughs> and I, and I, I have to try to get some kind of worship band going, I guess, in my living room or and we laugh and people actually think that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're intimidated then. Yeah. yeah. It's like, well, are. I, I don't want to be, cause they're trying to, they're using that organizational framework rather than the family framework to think yeah. about what it would mean to lead a church. And that, that yeah. can be intimidating. It can. Yeah. yeah instead of the, the nature of that word was the, the, the people God gathered to himself to bring his presence to the world. <laughs> That's yeah. really what ecclesia means. And so we really misunderstand it when we put all those other pieces on it. So, so tell me some stories. Um, you've given us a really good picture of what a disciple is, the process you bring people through, the strategies as well as the systems super i mean that's why i love being with you guys every time i'm with you i was even just writing down more notes like i've sat with you plenty of times and i'm still learning just love what you have to share but i know that this is ultimately about people and so who are some of those just give us a story or two of some of the people that you've watched god just work in and through um to live this out yeah last night was really fun we mentioned immersive earlier. This is just a, like a day and a half training we do with people. And we, people ask, you know, like, Hey, can we, go, can we go sit in a micro church? And we say, no, uh, because they've emerged out of these like families and networks of relationships or maybe a neighborhood. And it's not like, you can't like, it's not like going <laughs> to the zoo. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's right. Look at the exhibit. Um, <laughs> but also if we, if we do that, it will, 
re, like you'll only get one thing. You'll get yeah. the Bible study. And, and when you see it, you'll be like, yeah, that's what I thought. It's not really like, it's not really any different than a small group. I told you. And it's, that's not true. You know, it's like you, mm-hmm. you'd have to see it for a couple of weeks to see all the mundane things that have happened that make that Bible study or that meal together such a rich experience. Yeah. Uh, so at the end of these immersives, we always bring in several leaders to sit and to just share their stories. And it's a way for uh, leaders outside of our city to go like, oh, it's not just you guys that are, quote unquote, work for the underground telling stories. These are normal people sharing what's actually happening. So I'll share one that we've been sharing a lot lately. And it's this young guy, Casey, who his brother is autistic and is at a day center here in the city. And I'm just going to keep it super general because of the sensitivity of the story. Yeah. But Casey was like, we always say you, you should go where you have a reason to exist. Like make disciples where you have a reason to exist. And so for Casey, that was this place where his brother lives because he has a reason to exist there because he loves his brother. And he, he just asked, mm-hmm. hey, can, can we go here and lead a discovery Bible study here? And so one of our directors has a degree working with adults with disabilities. And she's like, I'm in. Let's go. I'm going to drive you over. And so they drive over every other Friday. Rob's also a part of this story, too. Um, but the story he was telling last night, he told you know, two specifically, I'm kind of just giving you a glimpse into the story, not the whole thing. Ultimately, by the way, discovery Bible study leads to a microchurch. Like it it just happened there. Now the staff is engaged. Multiples of the residents are a part of this community. And Casey, this young guy is going, I'm, I'm a spiritual parent now, you know, and they were reading I forget the passage they were reading, Robbie, maybe maybe the wedding in Cana or something. And four four people gave their lives to Jesus. And they have a dance wow. party. Like <laughs> Evan's dancing. Every week, actually. They're Every dancing. week it ends with a dance party. <laughs> and then the, he said, like, I don't know, this is probably a month ago. Uh, three of the residents just said, hey, we we don't have Bibles. Can you, like, can we get a Bible? And so uh, Bree is coaching Casey, and she says, well, what should we do about it? He goes, I, I don't know. She says, well, I think we could fill out a micro grant. And these are just grants we have to help micro churches fuel their mission. And so he fills out a micro grant. I'd like to buy Bibles. Well, the catch is no one can read, right? So it's a micro grant to purchase Jesus Storybook Bibles for the residents at this facility. And I mean, the this room last night, we're all just weeping because we're like, how beautiful is this story of carrying the scripture in and the way that Casey just described their faces when they lit up because they have this Bible. And, and Bree said, you know, the place is going nuts. There's dancing. And this one young man who has downs, like he grabbed his Bible, went to a corner and just immersed himself in it for a half hour. Wow. Wow. And, I, you know, it's like the reason this is one of the, the reason we highlight this story so often now is like these are people who can't, quote unquote, go to church. Yeah. And they needed a missionary to come to them mm-hmm. and just to yeah. be family with them. And now that's there. And by the will of God or by the power of God, m- may that multiply in every facility in our city. Amen. Yeah. Jeff, wow. I was there with- I was at one of their gatherings when Casey was leading us through the, uh, the story of the prodigal son. And I have a friend who's on the spectrum. Um, and that's why we're there together. And he's found a place that uh, he feels like he can lead, uh, which is pretty amazing. And because uh, sometimes when he engages with our microchurch, it's just so overwhelming. Uh, it's like too much stimulus, you know? Um and that day, as they were leading us through, the man who was sitting next to me, there's a really wide spectrum of like people who are very fluent. And then other people, you're not quite sure how much comprehension is happening. And uh, there was a man sitting next to me where I thought, I don't know if he really understands anything we're talking about because he's he just makes sort of like guttural noises, you know. And we got to the part in the Discovery Bible study where uh, 
you know, the prodigal son's coming back. And Casey said, so what does this tell us about God? And this guy said, God, home. And man, the manifest presence of God was so powerful. And I just said to the Lord, like, whatever you're giving him, can you please give that to me? Mm. And that word of God, home, has been Mm. such a salve to my soul, you know. And it was just one of those moments where we're like, we just don't understand the Holy Spirit is interacting with people. Mm. And we have such Mm. a limited comprehension of how he's at work and who's actually getting the deepest insight in this room. Wow. Wow. Yeah, man. That's amazing. Woo. I know. I'm crying right now. Oh, man. So good. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. That's the everyday stuff, too. You know, like that's, you know, this room full of church leaders that Mm. 85 to 90% are paid. And they're just like waking up to the realization that this dude that can't even drive himself to where his microchurch is, yeah. you know, where his extended family yeah. is, um, how mm. like the power in that is just like, man, this when Casey found his masterpiece mission and Jesus is now filling that residential facility like he's going to fill the whole earth. Wow. So Casey did his part. Now, I love it if we can just help other people step into their peace. And this, and wow. this is so many. <laughs> Let me give you a couple brief zingers, you know, cause I know we got to wrap this up, but I always love to tell a story too of Chad and Allison Chambers. Uh, their daughter started getting into rodeo when Chad grew up in the rodeo. And of course he's going to support his d- daughter. And that's an immersive lifestyle. Like when you're in the rodeo, it, there's, it's like a band of gypsies, man. They just travel yeah. from one rodeo to the other, to the other, to the other on the weekends. And you're together all the time, all weekend. Mm. Yep. And the rodeo was on an Easter weekend. And he was asked by one of the guys who ran the rodeo, like they had seen that Chad was different because he was living as a missionary. And they're yep. like, you know, it's Easter. We ought to like, someone ought to say something. Would you do that? And he was like, what? Okay. <laughs> well, he oh. did. And a guy gave his life to Christ that day. And then like the light really turned on. He was like, wait a second. I love and it. so th- they've been living there for as missionaries for years. And they, they've baptized 31 people in horse troughs now, man. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I love it. Like, yeah. And they, uh. and they're in conversations right now. Like, I think we have a new hub that's going to emerge over there in rural Kansas and Chad and, Allison Chambers are really at the heart of that, you know. That's so cool. It is. You know, man. I was I was just with the <laughs> church leader who is transitioning his own perspective and practice uh, of the church, and he said, "What do you tell a guy like me who's been doing this for so long, and actually I'm good at it? You know, like the right, preaching, right. the, the organ, yeah. like the, the typical right. expression of church. It's like, what do you tell someone like me? I said, well, first of all. You don't do for people what they could do themselves mm-hmm. is if you were to equip them. So like that's spiritual parenting, right? You train your kids in the ways they're t- to go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. I said, but second, you don't design it in such a way that only a few people can do it. Mm-hmm. Because that, that tends to be the prevailing model is like, like, well, only a few people could actually preach like that or lead music like that or whatever it is. It's like, no, 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 no. This is someone who's in a, in a, in a home where it's full of people all up and down the spectrum are, are a part of this and they have a voice and they can speak out the word of God because the spirit's in them. And just, I love both of those stories because it normalizes and it makes it accessible and I, I think for the listeners, I would say anything you're doing that's making this uh, non-accessible and yes. exclusive to a very yep. small group of people is probably probably contrary to the very heart of Jesus. Because the mm-hmm. kingdom of God, everybody was invited. 
and everybody participates. And yep. so I just love the fact that those two stories really highlighted that well. So if you were to give a parting word, each one of you, uh, to the people who are listening about their own disciple making work or, um, attempts that they're, you know, leading people toward, uh, what would, what would you want to leave them with? Go ahead, Rob, you start first and Brian closes. Yeah, I think um, if the listeners are anything like me in terms of their brokenness, um, you know, to not turn disciple making into your new scorecard. Mm. If it was like preaching before weekend attendance or, you know, the things that we attach our worth and our identity to. um, Mm. And just it begins in. and continues in repentance, you know, of returning to Jesus as our source for um, our identity and our purpose, our meaning. And it's, it genuinely is out of that overflow. Um, and so consider everything else rubbish, um, mm. literally, you know, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. And if you do that, um, that that's the nuclear engine, you know, for disciple making. And, um, and I'm really excited by the, what I feel like is the beginning of a revival in disciple making, you know, in America, I'm also very scared that it will become like the next product that we're marketing, you know? Mm. Um, Mm. and I, and I think we've already seen some of the judgment of that actually in recent days where the Lord's exposing things. Mm-hmm. so yeah that's what was on my heart today just to share mm, thanks man yeah probably two things for me as well if, if we're allowed I'll, I'll make it quick one would just be the Jesus keeps me, bringing me back to the abide in me and you'll bear much fruit you know mm-hmm. two days of an immersive of talking strategy and communicating graphics and systems and structures and this idea that like, well, if we just put the right things together, you know, and like, well, if we just pray a bunch and then go, then we'll get, you know, no, it really is just out of the abiding fruit comes. And I, I, I do believe that's about our own life, but I believe it's about mission as well. Uh, and then the other piece is just to begin to change the scorecard, like out of that abiding. And as we share what is it that we're celebrating? Uh, and this story's come up a few times over the last couple of days, but just one of the one of my buds in the neighborhood just talking about how we're parenting and choosing to not yell at our kids, but choose a different word or phrase like, hey, is this who you are? Is this who we are? And parent around this identity thing, you know? And, and he came back a few months later. And he's like, hey, man, like I really like, I'm not yelling at my kids as much anymore. I keep asking them that question you were talking about. And I realized in that moment, it was like, that is the kingdom of God breaking in. You know, I thought about Hugh's story in the tangible kingdom, the way he talks about like the one apartment changes and then the floor changes and then the building changes and then the block changes and then the city changes. And I was like, this is it. <laughs> like one, one house has changed and a generation won't start yelling at their kids anymore because we found a different way. Uh, and so not just to lean into the idea of salvation, but to lean into where are the broken places and how do we, how do we bring healing and wholeness there and to celebrate Mm. mundane more than the magnificent. So good. Well, so thankful for both you guys and the work you're doing, the example you're setting. Um, I want everyone that's listening to have more opportunity to keep learning from you guys. So where would I send them? What, where would, where would you want them to go if they want more information about the work you're doing and the, the ideas you're sharing? Casey underground.org. All right. There you go. And I, I'm going to tell you listeners, uh, there is a wealth of wisdom and experience, um, 
these guys have to give, but so does their team. Uh, the, the people around them are just remarkable. Yeah. The whole group of leaders in the Kansas City Underground are wonderful, beautiful, wise, loving people. And it's clear Jesus is with them. So, guys, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for sharing. And if you want more uh, opportunities to learn, we also provide a lot of content and uh, learning opportunities with saturatetheworld.com. And we are so glad you listened in. Rob and Brian, thank you so much. Grace and peace. Thank you. Amen.